Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. Um, we've got a special double double header guest today. Uh, two folks returning uh, champion getting his you know second Left Anchor appearance uh, challenge coin. Uh, Franklin Bynum. Uh, the, I'm not... You told us last time how we should refer to you. I don't know the right honorable. You're oh, I'm not a stickler about it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm I'm Franklin Bynum. I am also the judge of Harris County Criminal Court at Law Number Eight. Okay, your magnificent lordship, Mister Right Honorable of Bynum. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and <laughs> number eight. Number eight. Yes. Um, yes. The eight. Yeah, doctor. Yeah, which is the best one. Clearly, number eight. Always, that's a key. You can't, you know, you can't be number six or number nine. You know, these are clearly inferior. No. But we also have uh, Brian Laverne. Am I pronouncing that right? Oh, you're close, uh, Laverne. God, yeah, like Laverne and Shirley. Brian Laverne. Okay, well, yeah, I have, mean, yeah, as I always say. Well, Ryan is not allowed to go for a full episode without mispronouncing somebody's name. So, yeah. thank you for for giving him the chance. And. Yeah, can you just tell, t- uh, introduce yourself a little bit uh, to, the, to the listeners here? Yeah, uh, my name is Brian Laverne. I'm uh, from Houston, just like a good buddy Franklin here. And uh, I organize with Houston DSA, and I'm a member of the Democratic Socialists of America. Awesome. You know, I, I think that, so, and I'm Franklin Bynum, and I think that, you know, I'm also from Houston. And, um, you know, I, I think that really maybe a good beginning of the story is, and something that'll lead us along the way is that Brian and I like sat next to each other at both of our first DSA meetings, right? In November of 2016. Huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that was right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. We sat next to each other and now like, you know, not long later in the scope of things, right? Like going to the convention this week, you know, each of us has, you know, we each went to the convention, uh, the DSA convention, um, I guess two years ago in Chicago and like didn't know anybody, didn't know what we were doing. And like now going back. Yeah. Now, together, now we know everyone like done this big thing and we don't yeah. know what we're doing. Yeah, we still. know everyone. Just... <laughs> yeah. Still don't, still don't never will. <laughs> I, uh, I also joined in November, 2016 and, and the purest coincidence. I can't think of anything that could have happened in November, 2016 that would have convinced me that toast liberalism is just not on on the way out. So it was just... It was a quiet yeah. month. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. But yeah, to, that um, that's some good context. But I thought, Franklin, you know, you, maybe you could just give us a quick recap of of the sort of... You know, you talked in the last episode about the life of a, of a judge. Um, you know, what that's like, what, you know, whether you've sort of learned anything and... and um, how that maybe has kind of, you know, affected your kind of, you know, overall worldview or political thinking and so forth. You know, just like what's it, what's it been like over the last little while? Franklin, has the system captured you? Have you been captured? <laughs> Have you been captured by the system? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so so it is it is like a regular practice of like trying to figure out like, um, you know, as a colleague said to me recently, like, am I the man? You know, like constantly having to ask, like, am I the man? You know, and like the answer still to me is no, even having cultivated that practice, you know, but there have been times that I, you know, really have made a serious inquiry. But I guess we should start earlier, right? Because multi-part episodes, right? You're not going to, you know, That's why right. make someone Plenty go Plenty of time. So like, you know, it's, um, I am from here. I spent many years as a criminal defense lawyer 
here in Houston. I was a public defender here in Houston, and um, the there was the county was sued over its bail practices several years back now, and I had this feeling that like this lawsuit was gonna like make a big difference. That like the the old system of detention was destroyed. And there would be a new system built in its place. And then I was like, oh, like I could run for an office and do this, right? And make sure that the old thing is destroyed and make sure the new thing is not bad. Because, you know, history is riddled with these examples of these lawsuits gone awry for two reasons, right? There's one that I've identified more because I was more familiar with it. And that is just generally the failure of civil rights litigation, the failure of federal courts in civil rights litigation to follow through on the actions that are necessary to like make the change that, that, you know, you need a political follow through, right. Which failed in school segregation by at this point, all accounts, I guess the schools are still segregated. And um, there are so many illustrative examples though, of that, that uh, we can get to later about like that. I, I, I find some, uh, some instruction in, but the, the other, the other failure is systems that are made by well-intentioned people that like are just too locked in to, too locked in in a way that they're not supposed to, right? And so, like, we set ourselves up to fail if we um, make these big systemic changes without like understanding like what the conditions are out in the world, understanding what's, you know, feasible, what is, what will work. I mean, yeah, I can sign on for, you know, to be monitored by a federal court. Right. But if I, if the criteria that we set up for bail reform are like unattainable, right, then we're just going to fail over and over again in ways that maybe even are superficial or not important. And so um, staying focused and doing it, doing it, right, you know, is also so important. One example uh, that, that I go back to about the civil rights stuff is like the story of the Kansas City schools, you know, where you had at some point, I, I don't even know what years, like the Kansas City School District, you know, like had a cooperative school board, you know, and then they had plaintiffs suing the schools to segregate, to, to desegregate them. And like, they set up these agreements where they were building high schools with planetariums, but they still weren't desegregated, you know, but they were planetariums, you know, and there were, there was, there was all these kind of bells and whistles, but like the thing that they set out to do was not done. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've been in the weeds for like six months and this is all a way to say that like we settled the bail lawsuit this week, right? They were kind of, I'm kind of like burying the lead, right? So we just finished last week this like six, seven months of work to like settle the bail lawsuit. And it's the biggest bail lawsuit settlement in the history of the country. It is awesome, right? It provides all kinds of things that are effectively like aids to affected communities, aid to people moving forward, uh, all kinds of lenience built in so people aren't being chained to chairs if they're late. And just like it is just one of the most comprehensive, biggest, most ambitious consent decrees in the history of the country. And wow, we just that's did amazing. It. Yeah. But it took this long because we were so, you know, on we were had the same values as as the plaintiffs that were suing us, you know, they were, they were friends. And then but we both had really different ideas of how to do it and what we could lock ourselves into, you know? Mm. 
and um, it, it's it's uh, it's been a long few months. <laughs> what a, quite a learning experience must be exhausting, but hopefully in a, a very fulfilling fashion, I imagine. Yeah, I mean Brian's been along for it. I mean the thing is, is that like you know I, I this is something that that like as much as anybody else, right? I mean, there are, there are a handful of people that were like the most involved in the campaign and Brian is one. And like when, when the going got tough, I called Brian about what to do or, you know, what was important or, you know, what all is happening, you know, and this all started, I mean, to rewind, we went to our first DSA meeting and, didn't know what we were doing, you know, and at some point we're sitting around like, Oh, someone needs to run for something. And these thoughts are coming up about the bail lawsuit and everything. And I'm like, well, I could do this just like sitting around at a yeah. state and local meeting, you know, well, isn't that, isn't remember, that crazy I to think the about? The first time you mentioned it, um, you were, you were sitting on the couch and you're like, I should run for judge just as a gadfly. Like, let me just use this as a way to just <laughs> talk about these things. And then you clearly start to think about it. It's like, wow, we could win. We could actually change something. And then, you know, Friday happens and we get this mm. official kind of agreement between the plaintiffs and the defendants. That's like, okay, well, Harris County, Houston, historically the death capital of the United States and so many people to death row, a history of police violence, you know, the TSU, uh, uh, they call them riots, but it's when it's the largest mass arrest in Houston's history, 480 something students being arrested at TSU, a historically black college in, mm. in Texas. Then we have the Black Panther Party 2, where cops killed a member of the Black uh, Panther Party here, the People's Party 2 here in Houston. And then it all fast forwards. We have so many, so much violence here. Then this is where potentially the beginning of getting rid of cash bail in the United States can happen. Right. In Texas. Right. The state where everything gets preempted. We have all these campaigns that DSA has worked on in Texas and Austin, San Antonio, uh, Dallas, where we've passed paid sick ordinances at the city level. That means if you're too sick to go to work, you have the right to not go to work and get paid for that. And then it gets uh, attempted to be preempted at the state level, but they failed this past time. But, you know, there's always a looming threat of, you know, retroactive preemption from our reactionary state legislature but they can't do that in a federal court uh consent degree and that's what's so powerful about this we have something that they can't touch that it's in the federal courts and it gives a a powder keg to to organizers to to leaders across the country to continue chipping away at cash bail it's incredible it's a it's a big moment in my opinion it's an incredible story of, of political change, uh, and and I, th- I think it's good that you're starting at the beginning and then talking about where you're at now because, uh, you know, and that you mention the will and desire in the face of seeming impossibility or or at least unclear about what could be achieved other than knowing that in principle something needs to happen. Uh, there's a, a lot to talk about in terms of not just the specific facts on the ground that brought you here, but how kind of affectively, and I think it has to be collectively, you bring about both the desire, the will, and then as you mentioned, Franklin, in the process, learn not just to care, but about how to actually effectuate the change through the knowledge you need to acquire in that process. So it's a lot to learn here for, for a lot of uh, lefties. Yeah, and what is so interesting is that a lot of the dynamics, uh, maybe the conflict dynamics that play out in movement work 
were then just playing out in county office buildings, right? Where, you know, there's, we're on the same side, right? But, but we have vastly different ideas of how to get there, right? And it gets personal real fast, right? Because we're lawyers, we fight for a living, or, you know, you could just as easily say we're activists, we fight for a living, we're union organizers, we fight for a living, you know, I mean, we all fight for a living, you know, we fight to live, right? That's the system that we live in. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it was it was it was something of, it, it was this dual thing, right? It was it was like on the one hand, I'm like, oh, I know this, and the other hand, it was just like, oh God, like I know this, like I, I'm sick of this. But um, I mean, how else is it going to happen? You know, I mean, uh, people are going to disagree. The people are, and you just have to. These things, um, they take time. You know, I mean, it just takes time to grind out something. They're like the way. Something. I mean, right now there are like rules and processes. There are people that get out of work, uh, get out of bed, go to work, and like work in this system. And how do you change what they do every day, right? How do you tell it to them in words that they understand, you know? And like, it's not. I, I, we have to be careful about not limiting the imagination, right? And, and by by what's possible, right? As you know, as it looks to you right now. But it is also like really important to think about like what's possible, right? And when and how and because if we do it and it's a failure because we just invent all new terms and, and do things kind of outside of everyone else's understanding, uh, even the public's, right? The Kind of the voting public, right? If we do something that, that, that doesn't, you know, that like doesn't click for them in a way like that's really important, you know, then we, we lose we lose ground politically, right? We have to do the thing, have it work, and also have it, like, look like it's working, you know? And and um, those are separate things. So, I mean, maybe maybe you've, like, caught me at a time in my life when I'm just, like, so deep in the weeds, you know? I'm just, like, so, so deep in it, you know? This is this fascinating yeah. aspect, I think, in regards to when you talk about the question for leftist and electoral politics and how do we engage with electoral politics, I think, Franklin, your, your experience so far and what you've been able to achieve and how you're achieving that is, is a crucial thing for all of us to consider. This is one thing I like about DSA, right? This notion of an inside-outside strategy. Because far too often, we're quick to disregard going into these institutions and attempting to use the power that's in there to do what's right, you know? Do a judicial position. You just uh, you just implement your values as a judge, right? You do what's right. You do what's lawful. You can play by the rules and get things done. Uh, but that's one individual. But within DSA as a movement and other organizations, we can we can act both inside and outside. So that's what I really like about Franklin's journey so far here, because it demonstrates someone who is from that outside of the institution going in, but then adeptly going through the the motions, the, the the methods of instantiating our vision of society. But at the same time, his activity inside allows me and other organizers and activists on the outside to ask for more. In fact, just recently, we're talking about in Houston on developing a campaign for site and release, and it's based on the work that Franklin is doing. We're you know, going to employ the same tactics. Can you explain, Brian, what that is? Can you explain what that yeah, is? Yeah, jargon, jargon giraffe. giraffe, right? Um, so, sight and release, <laughs> um, as I would explain it, you know, uh, Franklin could you know, 
describe more detail here, but it's kind of like when you think of a traffic ticket, you know, a cop pulls you over and they say, oh, you know, caught you, caught you running a red light. And it's like, you know, they print something out, you sign something and then they, you leave. You're free because you're innocent, right? That's the law. Now, there are so many nonviolent misdemeanors that people get brought in to a booking center. They get brought into a jail. And here in Harris County, because of this settlement, because of this cash bail lawsuit, now we're able to have them you know, get processed and they leave. But they still get brought to a place. And they get brought into one place here in Harris County. And if you know Houston, you know Houston is big. You could travel you could be under the jurisdiction of being brought to the JPC, which is it's called. It's the one place we bring everybody here. You could be living in Katy or, or I guess, Baytown or uh, somewhere south of Houston, and it's real far away. You get arrested. They bring it in. They process you, and then they kick you out. Now, for all these nonviolent misdemeanors, that shouldn't have to be the case. People have lives. People have families, things that when they get brought in, you know, swooped up all of a sudden, it threatens that. It threatens the the precarious life that they already exist and ultimately perpetrates and continues the, 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 the oppression that they live under. So that's what site and release would do. It would, it would, it would give these tickets. It would give something like, look, you know, you're getting charged with this, but we're not bringing you in just yet. And you know, you'll have your day in court. You can defend yourself rather than you're free, but we're bringing you all the way across the city and you got to find your way home later. I, I think that that is all true. That that is all right. And, and, but I, I would I would actually you know to to tie it into the larger project. You know to, the way to make this simple to, is like what I'm in favor of is fewer arrests, fewer convictions. Period. Right. Drive the numbers down. Uh, shrink this system. This system is not good at anything. It's not good at the things. It's it's just the system needs to go right. And how do we accomplish that on a day to day basis? Fewer arrests, fewer convictions. And so cite and release. So bail reform accomplishes actually fewer convictions. Because here's something that's interesting about bail reform for misdemeanors. In a misdemeanor case, we did bail reform here, and the jail population didn't really go down much. Because people in jail on misdemeanors, when they're standing there in, in jail, as far as the prosecutor is concerned, that person can be free that day, right? They can just plead guilty, though, right? It was a time-served system. So... Excuse me. All the complaints, but but the difference with before reform is that they extracted a guilty plea and marked this person for life and drove them for and destabilized their life by detaining them two three days, driving them further and further down. So prosecutors are fine with people being released onto the street, right? They just want to mark them for life, and so that is the difference. And so, and so with sight and release, we want to cut out that initial trip, period, right? That's fewer arrests, right? Fewer convictions is letting people out on bail fight their case. The dismissal rate shot up to over 50%. You know, and then fewer arrests is give people tickets when the law allows you to in all categories. Yeah, so, so maybe a little context here for, for, for people who aren't super familiar with like this process. Um, I wrote, and, you, and you, you guys can jump in and correct me later, but I wrote a long article about jails some years ago, and, and um, it's something like, maybe a little bit less than two-thirds, uh, uh, like 60% or something of people in jail have not been convicted of, of a crime. This was 2015 when I, when I wrote this, so maybe it's changed a little bit. But um, the overwhelming fact of jail is 
lots of people who are just being processed by the system. And as you say, one of the methods that prosecutors use to extract a conviction without having to win a trial is by pushing these guilty pleas, by shoving people in jail, putting up a giant cash bail requirement that you know a lot of people can't raise, you know, maybe many thousands of dollars and takes them a couple of days to raise it. And by that time, they're so desperate to get out, they'll just plead. And even, you know, it could be a case where like, you know, you, you would have only served a couple of days or a couple of weeks in jail anyways, and you've already been there that long. And so then you can just get out and have your time already served, as you say. So maybe, maybe you could, um, explain how this, um, this, this cash, the cash bail settlement, as I'm not familiar with it, like how, how did that change the system? Um, is it like, are we getting rid of cash bail or like restricting it in certain categories? Like what's the, what's the, uh, uh, story here? The, it's a, it's a fresh story, right? I mean, y'all are getting it before even, I don't know what day this is going to come out. But you'll be happy to know we have a breaking news drop. So yes, we're good. Yeah, put it. Uh, yeah, put it in all caps. You know, must credit. <laughs> so, like, you know, the the bail settlement is a huge, you know, fifty sixty page thing, and um, but fundamentally, it it accomplishes this. And this is only for misdemeanors in Harris County. The district courts, the felony courts, are being um, sued right now, and we couldn't come up with an, like a universal resolution to it. There are reasons for that. They include the fact that even though Democrats control every bench, many of them are really bad Democrats, and they're not, you know... Yeah, <laughs> I know. And so it's going to take longer for felonies, right? And I have no control over that other than I do as a, you know, organizer, activist. I mean, that's I'm outside for that. I mean, I'm inside somewhat in that they, you know, I guess they'll take my calls, right? But I mean, I don't have a vote, right? I mean, I, I have to... So basically what we do is when whenever anyone's arrested now in, in Harris County in Houston on a misdemeanor, we changed the local rules, and now we're locking in that change through a, a federal court order that will last forever. And it says that if you are arrested on a misdemeanor, right, these are cases like tri- criminal trespassing, uh, what I call pain assault, right, assault where the only allegation is that you were you felt pain, not that you have a serious injury, Um driving while intoxicated. It's a lot of cases, right? I mean, it's ten, it's several it's tens of thousands of cases per year. I mean, it's maybe 50 or so thousand cases per year across the whole county. And um almost uh, the 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 goal was 85%, right? That that 85% of people would just be released automatically without seeing a judge, without anything, right? Just as soon as we can get the information and turn the person around, they're released. There's no discretion. There's no risk assessment algorithm, anything like that. It's just you are cut loose. And the only people that aren't are people that need to see a judge, right? And the two main categories are um, people accused in domestic violence situations who maybe need to hash out a protective order, kind of a, you know. I tell people every time someone's in my court, and they're released, and I, I impose some condition of bond, right? And, and I do it very in, relatively infre- infrequently compared to the previous ones, right? 
but uh, who would just put your analysis on everybody. If you're a criminal trespass, you had UAs. I mean, and all that's done, right? But, I mean, if people can't figure out, I mean, it, it, it is like, it's like, all right, well, this person doesn't want you around, right? And, like, this is the, this is the mechanism we got at the moment, you know? So, like, um, so it's family violence cases and um, DWI second cases, right, where the law requires some conditions of, like, monitoring. So that the, the people that need to see a judge see a judge. Everyone else is released, right? And we use this risk assessment previously developed by this Enron billionaire named John Arnold, which I think we maybe talked about in the last show, right? And it's so funny how he's a distant memory now, right? We don't use the billionaires, the billionaire tourist algorithm anymore. We just don't do that. And, you know, it was so funny when we went into the jail and they were looking through the rule that was as it was written. And I, I personally supervised the implementation of this, right? And, you know, they were like, oh, well, I mean, are we not using the risk assessment? And I just looked at them and kind of whispered like, no, (laughs) no, (laughs) no, we're not using the risk assessment. Should we, should we, should we do one anyway in case the judge wants to see it? And I just look at them and I'm like, no, no. No." So, so that, that is, that is bail reform. It basically is automatic release for almost everybody. Right. And not shying away from calling it like automatic release. People are like, oh, it's catch and release. Well, you know, it sure is. It sure is. Right. I mean, all the police unions are already apoplectic about this. Obviously, you know, it's, um, you know, people reach for the old tired lines. Right. But like, no, no, there is no risk assessment. Right. No, there is no. Yes, it is catch and release. Right. Like, of, yeah, people, people are innocent. Right. The law says they're innocent. So we treat them that way. Yeah. And then, you know, I guess. What if it's like a traffic ticket or uh, sort of such, such sort of an analogy? I guess in certain circumstances there would just be like a penalty there that you could either just pay or show up to contest it. Right? Is that what would happen thereafter? Most that? people, yeah. I mean, most people um, will not do any additional jail time on the cases, and then they. I mean statistically speaking, right? I mean, the experience in my court, although I can't say what I'll do in a particular case, right? I mean, right. the numbers speak for themselves, you know? And, um, but yeah, most people are not going to go back to jail. And in fact, most people will have their cases dismissed, right? I mean, the first the first culling layer is me, right? When I'm reviewing these sworn statements made by police, which used to be rubber stamped routinely. And now that I pour out routinely, right? I haven't even seen the numbers, but I mean, they're they're astronomical compared to before, right? I mean, I, I it's called finding no probable cause, right? It's like disagreeing with the police officer's arrest decision, basically, from the bench. And uh, I do that all the time, right? Because it's necessary because they don't know what they're doing a lot of the time, yeah. right? And a job of the judge is, you know, in our constitutional system is police oversight, right? And an only criminal court judge, that is the main aspect of the job. So people are like, oh, why are you so critical of police? Like, what do you, why do you hate police? And it's just like, it's my, it's, it's my job to provide oversight, yeah. you know? That's my job. You want to be good but, and get good one evidence. Thing that's v- and- one thing that's really frustrating in this this whole this whole aspect, though, is like even though it, it comes to you, right? In my opinion, it shouldn't even be getting to you right now because right now we have a district attorney, Kim Og, who is this you know a 
self-appraised reform DA who runs an intake division. So here in Harris County, we have this system where if a cop wants to charge somebody, they have to get on the phone, uh, call the DA's office. It goes to the intake division, if I understand correctly, right? And a, an ADA, an assistant district attorney in the DA, uh, DA's office in the intake division has to approve the charge. So that means there's a report that goes to the DA's office that approves the charge. Then it'll make its way to Franklin's court, for example. And I mean, you know, the amount of cases that uh, Franklin, you know, Judge Bynum has been able to say no PC on shouldn't be at that level because I think our district attorney should be doing their job. So it's a, if there's an interesting dynamic that's been occurring between our self, you know, claimed progressive DA and now our new slate of criminal court judges. This is interesting, I think, for the audience to see how um, leftist socialists can infiltrate and change things even more together. So, uh, Honorable Judge Bynum, how would things look different for thousands and thousands of people if you had like a Larry Krasner or Tiffany Caban with you, right? Oh, like, how, how how would that how would that make things different for you? It would make things tremendously different, right? Um, the I have to say, just as as, as a preliminary, you know. I, it's funny, I'm, I'm involved in electoral politics in, in, in an extreme way. I was on a ballot, right? And yet now the rules limit my involvement in electoral politics, right? And so <laughs> we're coming up on an election year, the DA is up, and so I can be critical of the DA, but I, I can't, you know, endorse or support any other candidate. Right, right, right. Uh, And so, and I, nothing, take nothing I say as that, Right. But I met Larry Krasner at Tiffany Caban's event, right? Um, I, I, it was my <laughs> birthday in New York, and I happened to be there for my birthday. And wow. I hey. went with Alex Vitale, who wrote The End of Policing. We went to the Tiffany Caban thing together and um, met Larry for a minute. It's like, hey, I'm the socialist judge in Texas. Um, <laughs> and it would be amazing, right, if, if we didn't have to fight the DA about reform all the time. You know, like I hear the DA here might be, you know, going to federal court to complain about some aspect of of bail reform. You know, while meanwhile she's going to the local governmental, the head of the county, the county government and saying almost every meeting, right, that she needs 10 more prosecutors or 20 more prosecutors and she's so they're so overworked and you know, they used fraudulent numbers, which was exposed by the local paper to do it, where they were counting all these inactive cases where people had warrants out. And they were saying that that was the total caseload of, of prosecutors and courts, this total inflated numbers, you know, to say we're we're dying out here. And yet every time I see them, they're like engaged in like some dumb bullshit. <laughs> and like it, it, it's just like they, they don't know how to deploy their resources well. They they are, you know chasing squirrels or, or, or something, you know, <laughs> like they, um, they, no one knows what they're doing, you know, and they just like run around with chickens with their heads cut off. So like if we weren't wasting energy trying to stop the dumb and bad things that they were trying to do or trying to dodge when they are trying to come after us for no good reason, then yeah, we would be able to accomplish a lot more, I think. Um, but instead, it, it's just um, it, it's just a mess here. I mean, we have someone who, you know, says she's a reformer but is not. You know, I mean, and the thing is, if she goes into federal court and complains about bail reform, then like I guess it's clear she's not even pretending anymore. 
So, so that's a good way for the audience to like figure out that's a specific thing that you can tell someone's not truly, I don't know if you want to use the word progressive, uh, emancipatory, right? Not, not a radical, not a lefty. What, what are the things that, uh, a, you know, a DA would do or not do that you could situate and say, okay, this is somebody on the side of, uh, of the left and trying to, to help people rather than being part of the problem. Well, I mean, I mean, it's not what Kim Og is doing to be you know clear first off. Right. It's, it's easy. It's fewer arrests, fewer yeah. convictions. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that. how you shrink the system. The system has to go down. The police for years have been running up the numbers with CompStat and all these different systems, right? It is incredible to me going to these meetings with, you know, people with stars on their shoulders, uh, you know, wearing polyester suits with stars on their shoulders. And the, the culture of lying that I observed as a defense lawyer that on a case by case basis i see i see different things in my court you know but just like let's call it a culture of dishonesty you know crime statistics are largely you know made up um it is it is so much of the system is perpetuated based on a fiction you know and so i think that dispensing with the fiction but also driving down the numbers in any hard way you know i mean it's not a fiction how many bodies get booked into the jail Right. That's not a fiction. It is a fiction, you know, that, you know, crime is on the rise, you know, like generally, generally speaking, um, it is. And, um, you know, the numbers are cooked the way they need to be cooked. And um, it's just like the culture of doing that is so incredible. So, like, go to the numbers that matter and drive them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the way to do I mean, it. It's as simple as no and demand charges. they do no charges on so so many of these things. So like when Franklin mentioned criminal trespass earlier, that's mostly used against the homeless, right? You show up in the wrong place because you have no other place to go. We live in a land of private property. Then you have you know think about standalone a charge of standalone resisting arrest, right? You you're, you're charged for resisting arrest, but you're not being charged with anything else. Seems a bit absurd, right? No charge on that. We have you know things like uh, possession of marijuana, right? Right now we have systems of of uh, pretrial diversions where you have to pay fees into it. But I mean, stop charging these things. I mean, quite frankly, that's the being progressive is like Franklin said, just drive it down, drive the system down. Cause right now it is, it's working, it's working how it's intended and we need it to not work how it's intended. You know, the system comes from a system of chattel slavery to oppress us and we need to turn it around. So what a good, you know, emancipatory DA can do can turn us around 180 get us away from how the system's been acting yeah one a little maybe a little more context here that that might be useful um that it it was the case in 2015 when i wrote my article but this the uh i'm not sure it's the case still but i believe it is that this the single leading cause of death in jails is suicide um and it's something like uh Two and a half times the rate uh, in the background population. I think forty per one hundred thousand, and the background is like twelve per one hundred thousand per year. And most suicides that happen in county jails happen in the first like twenty-four to forty-eight hours. You know, being arrested and thrown in jails is an incredibly traumatic experience. People think their life is ruined forever, and you know, can just impulsively hang themselves and that sort of thing. And you know, the people were 
maybe rightly suspicious of Sandra Bland, uh, the lady who, who, who died, um, in a, in a, that was a Texas jail, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, who knows for sure what happened there, but it is unfortunately very common for people who are otherwise fine to, to kill themselves in the, when they get uh, thrown in jail. And so, as you're saying, yeah, you know, such an important, you know, uh, to just say, how can we possibly stop the number, you know, just get this number down, you know, to, to make it not be a sort of primary function of, you know, just sort of warehousing all this social disorder and make people actually deal with it, you know, instead of just throwing the book at these tiny little offenses over and over again. But yeah, it's a silly system. You know, if we drive the numbers down, it just gets exposed for how silly it is. You know, like we've done bail reform and like now the dismissal rate is well north of 50 percent. Right. Which really raises the question, what is this all about? Like, what is this system of pain and all about if over half the cases are dismissed. And what reformer DAs would say is like, oh, well, they're dismissed because we offer diversion intervention programs or whatever, right? And so that actually, right, we're still like, we still count it, you know, like, like that's, that's what it's all about, right? It's about they're diverting fees from the courts to DA's offices, right? <laughs> so instead of paying like court costs, right, you pay a fee, a program fee to the DA's office, right? It used to be here that, I mean, just talk about what like a fake reformer DA we have, right? It used to be here that everybody could, a common charge is theft by check, right? It's a ridiculous charge, right? In the sense that it's very difficult, right? And I can keep, you know, look, I can hear the cases, right? I mean, I'd be shocked if everyone ever got to trial, right? But like, basically, they have to show that you knew your bank balance at the moment you wrote the check. And a lot, you know, almost all these cases are people buying groceries at the grocery store, writing a check. And like, they sent a certified letter to the address on the driver's license, but it didn't go through. And then they didn't hear from the person. And then they file a criminal case, right? And it used to be that if the person showed up after being arrested and spending two days in jail for bouncing a check, that the DA would allow them to pay restitution. I'm, I'm doing the air quotes on the, uh, <laughs> on the Skype. Yeah. You know, and, and they'll dismiss the case. Um, I say restitution in air quotes. I guess with a check case, I mean, it was never... It's funny, when they ask for restitution in like credit card cases, I always think it's funny, you know, because the finance industry has written that money off, you know, but they're like, oh no, you must, you must make Chase Bank a yeah. hundred cents on the dollar hole, you know? You owe them 13, when, when Chase, Chase Bank is, yeah, they're like, oh, Chase Bank is like a hundred cents on the dollar, how quaint, <laughs> you know? Like we, we, we don't, we don't, we don't do that ourselves. But so now the DA's office, um, requires you to enter a program for your theft by check dismissal and pay a dis pay like a program fee and then pay the restitution to Kroger or HEB or Walmart so, so it's most commonly it's Walmart a, it's a scam frankly so so i mean 
the whole time I've been thinking of Foucault's discipline and punishing just all the ways of, of control and, and just like, so, so even if it's not just a scam to make money off of poor people and, and just, uh, you, or mark them, even if you don't process them, you're going to mark them for life and control them in other ways. What are some of the ways that like, at the very least liberals uh, or conservatives alike need to say these are bad, poor people, and we need to at least put them through some training programs to make them feel ashamed of themselves and, and, and educate them so they're not such terrible people. Like, what are, what are some of the kind of disgusting ways that go beyond mere throwing people in cages that uh, needs to be purged or, or fought? Oh, man. Well, uh, you know, it's, it is now that I turn my attention out from, from the bail stuff, it is, it is a, a very timely question. You know, because my attention's been been divided, right? And it's been kind of uh, on those other things. But one thing that I'm running into a lot is the whole probation system, you know, where people are put on probation. And, and the thing is, I, I'm reviewing these probations from before I went on. You know, I mean, something I've pioneered is the two-day probation, right? You're on probation for two days, right? And I'm going to early terminate it today. The reason it's two days is because the system can't take the start date and the end date being the same day. <laughs> so, so I, I was like, I put you on probation for one day and they were like, uh, judge, we, we can't do that. And, uh, <laughs> is, is that like a technical software problem? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, I'll make it a two day probation. Then I'll terminate it today because <laughs> you're halfway through today. And the law says that halfway through you can terminate it. So, um, boom, nice. but, but yeah, I mean, I like all the people on these, like, long probations where you know they have the risk assessment my god i don't order it but but you know all this backlog of 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 cases that come up where people get arrested for shoplifting at the walmart let's say right and then test positive for marijuana and then suddenly are ordered to go to intensive outpatient treatment because they tested positive for marijuana you know and they file these reports and I feel like half the reports I get from the probation department are like, well, you know, we recommend like extending for one year to pay fees. And I'm like, no, no, let's terminate today. In fact, you know, like what on earth, like this person had an appointed lawyer and you're ringing them up for how much a month in fees, you know, 200 bucks a month in fees. And so the, you know, the, the, uh, e-carceration, you know, the probation and even, you know, if you do bail reform wrong, it replicates the same problems that exist on probation. Yeah. Where everyone's supervised, everyone has an ankle monitor, you know, everyone's getting UAs, and oh, you're not locked in jail, you're just in an open air, cheaper for the government cage. That That is also richly like lining the pockets of private contractors it's like we're automating incarceration (laughs) yeah it's like you incarcerate yourself motherfucker and we'll keep (laughs) making money off of it yeah and you pay for it we're tired of paying for it right but we're not going to get get rid of the incarceration you know it's it is so i mean that's why it's so important for us to be in the room when these things are being discussed you know because if we're not then you know, I mean, I mean, it makes a difference me being mm-hmm. in the room. You know, I, I, I can't, I, I have to say the serenity prayer all the time. You know, like yeah. I, I, I can't control what everyone else does, but I can put it in front of them. You know, and I can tell them in a different way, and I can engage them and and just like open their mind to another way mm-hmm. that might be better. You know, um, sometimes these things are done because that stupid. work. Have you have you seen that work? 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, over and over again. Yeah, just like That's being good. in the room is really important. Good. Where good. you know, yeah, it it definitely it definitely makes a huge difference. And and let's say something else. You know, um, we like. I'm so proud that I think you know the the court coordinator who runs my court. I, I met through movement work. I met through DSA. You know, and so it, it's so funny. We're both going to be out Thursday and Friday. To go to the, and it's like, oh, why, why is court running at half speed? It's like, oh, there's a socialist convention. You know, never, never have the words been said. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And uh, but the thing is, we are the most competent court. You know, mm-hmm. like like we run the docket the fastest, mo- par- partially because we wave people's appearances. We don't make people do the grind. You know, and and like all kinds of things. And so if we're not winning you over in the room on on just you know, the, the, the purity and, and, and the beauty of our ideology, you know, we'll win you over just on competence, yeah. right? Like if, if that's what you're looking for and that is what a lot of people are looking for. It's like, Oh, you know, like you, you look and sound like you know what you're doing and we do. And, and so I'm going to listen to you. The, I mean, there are all kinds of ways to persuade people and, and to be influential in a room of people. Yeah, of course. That's it. And it's not always like prison abolition versus being a reactionary and, opening concentration camps that's interesting can can you talk a little bit more about that like you you know you said okay uh, things are things are faster because like you're just sort of not doing things that other judges are doing but is it also the case that you're just like going through the paperwork like all the procedural stuff more efficiently as well and if so why why do you suppose that is well part of it is is because we you know, William, the, the court coordinator, and I um, work together at my law firm, and we do automation together. And and like, I don't know, we just are younger people, and we know how to like work the computer better, for for lack of a better, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, but and, and like, we'll take an email, you know. And um, I think that informality has all kinds of benefits, you know, where where I'm just like, you know, there aren't layers to go through something, and we just like we just work better. It's just like a more pleasant place to be. And and I think that also like we work better, but it's a more pleasant place to be because it, it's funny, like putting these things into action looks like on a day-to-day basis, looks like pretty kind and pretty informal and pretty, even for the prosecutors in the court, to be honest, right? Like I'm not like the environment in the court is not one of control and oppression, right? It's, it's I'm trying to actively cultivate an opposite one. And I can't like be cracking down on somebody in the room, but then telling everybody else you're fine. Right. I mean, that was, that was in some ways what was happening before, just with different, different characters playing different roles, you know, like everyone gets, I mean, everyone's held accountable. Defense lawyers have to work. Prosecutors have to work, but like, it's just like, it's just a nice place to be. So if you're not particularly ideological, right. If you're just working at the courthouse, um, my place is a nice place to be because people aren't getting hammered for the most part. Uh, it, it's a, it's no one. It, it's just, it's just not that like strict and oppressive an environment, and it, like people love it. Yeah. Although if people were getting hammered in a fun way, that would make it even better. To be <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, I, I do have a, I do have a bottle of that's tequila the next back step. in my my chambers. You know, I figure that's. that's that- 
the next you know, socialist, I, I don't, socialist vision, right? Mediation through through uh, the booze, lowering. Yeah, the, just uh, have it of, like know? let's just come in the back and have a drink. <laughs> like, can yeah. we like we don't need out. we don't need all this, you know? Let's let's have a, a community circle back in back in the <laughs> office, you know? <laughs> like, and then dismiss. We want to work towards those things too, right? These alternative alternative dispute resolution type type things. I mean, you know, we have four years, we have three and a half left. Right. And we got to like inside outside, you know, we, we got to come up with yeah. these alternatives because it, it's not enough just to deconstruct the thing. Right. It, we, we got to also right. positive like, vision. Yeah. We got to build something else, you know, because if you, if you just pull back, then, then what, if there's nothing left and people want something done, right. I mean, the cops have a plan, you know, and they just, they'll be like, Oh, like, Call us. The problem is, was when you stopped calling us. Yeah. Calling right. it. Right. Yeah, it's the natural conclusion yeah. of this work. And I think as socialists, we kind of, it's, it's a, you know, step two is easy, right? It's like, well, what are the, what's the criminal justice system trying to solve? It's like, it's a bunch of social problems. So if you get rid of the uh, criminal justice system, all of a sudden you realize you have all these social problems that could be solved through the kind of policies that we advocate for, right? Criminal trespass is like, well, let's give people houses. It's way cheaper too. Yeah. Um, you know, we have theft by check. It's like, well, people don't have money for food. We have, you know, people killing themselves in the jails. Well, Harris County Jail is the largest mental health provider in the in the, in the county. It's like, well, let's uh, give people uh, health care. Let's have something like Medicare for all. And in fact, I think Franklin, you know, when we're campaigning, you're like, you know what? I'm from I'm for Medicare for all. Like, let's a judge campaigning on Medicare for all because it's all connected. Beautiful. I did. I did. It's related. It's all. Yeah, connected. I talk about it That's all right. the time. I talk about it all the time. All the time in court. Yeah. Yeah. And people talk about, you know, and, and I tell people in court, too, that, like, I had someone say the other day in court that um, I was like, they wanted to sign up for jail time. And I was like, well, why would I sign off on that? I don't, like, what good is it going to do you to go to jail? You know, like, I don't want to sign off on that. And she was like, well, at least I'll have, like, a meal and a hot God shower. Damn. And I was just like, God, I'm, God, I'm so, like, I don't think anybody should have to live that way. Yeah. Like I, I don't. I mean, and saying that, like, you know, literally on a pedestal, right? But like, like having, have, like, that means something to people to hear that. You know, that's like yeah. that is wrong. Like that should not be. And like, whenever that is presented anywhere in society, if it's in a court, if it's in a shelter, if it's, it should be the the person responsible should say, "Oh my God," mm-hmm. you know, like that should not yeah, be. Yeah, that's interesting, Franklin, because it occurs to me that. In, in in your position, traditionally, you're a representative of the, the state and therefore, you know, the common good in society to uh, adjudicate responsibility and say you are morally culpable. But instead, you're in a position where you could say, you know what? The state has failed you for not providing you shelter and food. And, and we are sorry. We we have failed. And I'm sorry that you're here in part because of that. I say sorry to people all the time. And I don't think that's very common for judges, you know? I mean, like, I'll right. look at someone's record and be like, you should have been released by now. Like, yes. I'm so sorry you weren't. I'm going to email someone and, you know, make sure that that this is looked into because you should not be here right now. You should not be in orange. You should be yeah, out. It's absolutely called for, too. It is our fault. It's our fault that we've not provided these things. And I, it's so powerful. Like, there's this, this idea that you talk about, Franklin, in your court treating people as humans – Right. Treating them as like, like, you know, yeah. there's that personal connection. I, I've, I heard from a criminal defense attorney the other day who went in your court saying that you just, you look at the person when they walk up to the bench. 
You know, you look at the defendant, you listen to them. You're not on the computer. An interpreter said this too. You, you actually pay attention to them and you treat them as a human. And I think that right there is the first time that we give that message of, you know, uh, this is, this, everything up to this point was not necessary. An alternative is possible, right? An alternative where you're treated with respect, with dignity, you have some sort of agency, you're a human, and you're not something to be casted away. So it, this is this is the crux of the whole problem is, you know, they show up to the bench and all of a sudden, everything up to this point, it's like, actually, no, we're going to put the brakes here. It's the very last step, too. It's, uh, it's for a lot of people, I think this has been crucial to have you on the bench, Franklin, and and save lives, ultimately, right? This is often the very last stop on on a very bad journey for a lot of folks. And for the first time in Harris County, maybe we have somebody who truly gets it, who truly can stop it. And that is powerful. And that's something that we can talk about when we organize an instantiation of our vision already in a system that cares about people. Incredibly powerful. That's, that's, that's beautiful, man. Um, I have a, I have a question maybe, you know, sort of, getting towards the end here um for you brian you know we've heard a lot from from franklin about kind of you know half half a year on the bench dealing with you know seeing the business end of the dysfunction of the united states like right up close in your face every day um what's it what's it sort of been like for you you know as as a kind of like i don't like a who was that fellow, Lewis Howe, who was like one of FDR's political advisors in the early years? Um, you know, being a guy who's like sort of associated, you know, sort of one of the brain truster type people, um, seeing that and and being like one one leg in, one leg out of this this kind of enterprise. I think there's something really kind of emancipatory in it, and not in a way that's self-aggrandizing, but rather. I'm not special, right? Uh, the people who I've learned from as great organizers, they're not particularly special either. They're just fully expressing their capabilities as humans. And there's something to be said for like these kind of amateurs, right? Like my education is in mathematical biology. When I was 16, yeah. I did booking at a music uh, uh, venue, right? I now work in social security disability law, and then I do stuff with Franklin and criminal justice, right? This is a lot of things. And in that, in that regard, I think there's something to be said about everybody's capacity to do this work, right? Everybody's capacity to be able to see the world around them and say that, wow, this is all messed up, and to do something about it, and to figure out how to do that, and to come together, work with people who... Uh, or your neighbors who agree with you, who think like you, and you know, whoever come together and actually enact something. And I think that's that's been the experience so far. One that isn't necessarily like, oh well, somebody associated with something that's really cool. It's like, well, I, I think we, uh, we all together. It's an example of how everyone can be right. It's a true expression of democracy. I, I that's the lesson to really be had, if anything, about me. I'm not particularly special. I am just like many other people being an example of what you can do if you have people power and a vision for a better world, I think. 
That's beautiful, Brian. It reminds me of of Marx and the journeyman ideology and how, you know, in capitalism, it's very easy to be alienated, right, from your labor and from other things and just do one thing. And that's all you do. And you're you're not really fulfilling your full full humanity. But what you're saying there is a beautiful thing, because what you're saying is the problems posed by capitalism and the state and incarceration and all these things that are bound up with the things you're fighting can, as hard as, as it is, unlock the potential of each human being in solidarity working with other activists to draw on all the things that make us human to combat that enemy, right? Like you have to have empathy, you have to have humility, you have to have strategy, you have to have, you have to unlock in yourself all these different things. And in a way you are enacting the very thing that capitalism is trying to suppress in the fighting of it. And that's a beautiful, awesome example that should give us hope and, and hopefully cultivate the desire and the will to, to face the impossible like you guys are both doing. That's a beautiful thing that you just said. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I'd like to add just for yeah. the, for the listeners, you know, as, as you listen to this great show and you, you think about these ideas and looking at the, the world around us and, you know, the sociology, politics, all of these things, you can take part in that. Um, you could, you can affect change. Uh, I would say join DSA, but join anything, take part and enact these, this vision. And the first way you do that is to start talking to people because what did Franklin do in the campaign? Well, we went out in front of the jails and started talking to people about their experiences with the jail system. And that was the most powerful thing we did because we went right to the people who were most affected. And those people, we didn't teach them anything. They taught us. We learned from them. Stories of calling them afterwards and they were crying saying, for the first time, I can vote for somebody who really believes in me. And that simple act of empowering people is, is, I don't know how to describe it, but describe it, but it's very emotional to take part in that. It's something liberating for yourself. So I recommend go out there, look up something, look up the local DSA meeting, go out to the next meeting and try to get something done because in that way, the world doesn't feel dark anymore it feels like there's something on the horizon Mm. and it's it's good for your mental health i can tell you that it wouldn't and and also bad (laughs) (laughs) well don't it it, it is good and bad yeah it turns out contradictions we live in a society franklin but but it is good but it is good overall it is good and and and, you know brian kept me going when i mean look i i I just am some dude too right i'm just some lawyer i'm some criminal defense lawyer who showed up to a dsa meeting you know Uh, honestly this is never in the the plans for me and i could have never done it without having joined dsa i I would have never done it i would have never engaged with democratic party politics if i didn't have my own you know group, hook, whatever, you know, support, let's, yeah, support, right? Um, so yeah, no, I mean, yeah, go, get involved, go, go do something, like, we're in a race to, um, to make a better world. I mean, this is actually, you know, Brian, the best moment of the campaign for me was one day when I bought a new iPhone to return it, right? I was like, I have two weeks now to use this new iPhone in the return period, so let's go <laughs> film something with this badass camera, Cause, and and because we hadn't filmed anything, you know, and so we, we went down to the bayou, to the banks of the bayou, where the jail is built on. This huge jail complex is built on the banks, and so I went down to the banks of this bayou that flooded, and that we were living in the wake of this flood. Still, we still are, and Harvey Relief, Houston DSA was really involved in, right, Hurricane Harvey, right, and... Uh, you know, we, I was like, look, just like, it's it's like... 
I can barely leave a voicemail message. I don't know why I like thought it's like, oh, we'll just like like shoot something in five minutes, right? No, it's not scripted. It's like curb, right? You just show up and and <laughs> and act it out. And, but something we said, right, after many, many takes, right, there was just one great one, right, that just came out of nowhere, right? And I said something that I had never said before in any of the others. And it was uh, that we don't have to wait for rising waters to shut these jails down. We can do it ourselves. And, you know, just like tying together climate catastrophe and, and like the limited time, like, you know, there's no time to to be anything mm-hmm. but like show up and do your best and build it as fast as you can. You know, we made bail reform happen in Harris County in the third largest County in the country in six yeah. months. Right. And the thing is we had a, a, a temporary solution up within two, two and a half hmm. and it's working. And everyone said that we couldn't do it that fast, you know, and we did because we have no choice but to move this fast, you know, and, and I, maybe that is the bad for mental health. <laughs> it's because yeah. it's, it's all, it's too much. Hey, well, hang in there, brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sent for go, my iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Sent for my ex iPhone. I, I did. I sent back. I, yeah, I returned it. That, yeah. Franklin, we got to get you some like weekly massages and acupuncture or something. Yeah. So can, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. You got to, you got to be in for the long haul, brother. <laughs> going to go back, going to go back to yoga. It's, you know, that's right. Nineties-tastic. Yoga is a form of solidarity. It turns out. Long. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, the yoga studio <laughs> up the street now is like got bought by some larger yoga company and now they're like traded on the NASDAQ. And, and that actually feels like more honest to me, <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, I, I'm like, I can do this now, you know, because I'm just basically going to the gym with it's a different a aesthetic, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so I'm, I feel more comfort with the yoga studio now. You should buy some shares. Get, yeah. get your uh, yoga yeah, index button yeah, yeah. going. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's like B-L-I-S on NASDAQ, you know? <laughs> yeah. But hey, yoga might be part of the new alternative dispute re- resolution options. You never know. Yeah, you know, yeah, just... yeah. Ten yoga classes and dismiss. Having marital strife? Go to yoga, people. Come on. Yeah, look, whatever works. <laughs> right. Yeah. Whatever does it. And you heard, you heard it here, folks. Judge Franklin Bynum is in the pocket of big <laughs> yoga. He's sending all his prisoners <laughs> right. to yoga mediation. <laughs> That's right. As long as it's not like one of these yoga programs in jail, you know, like whenever I see these programs in a jail, it's like we have a ribbon cutting for we have a new veterans pod in the jail. And it's just like, well, like I I am in favor of treating people better. You know, I am in favor of more humane treatment. But like, how about like just not having a pod? Yeah. How about just like how about how about just like have a ribbon cutting? So we closed a pod. Bernie's going (laughs) to we have one fewer pod. Bernie's going to be out on the trail like 99 percent of the judges are in pocket of big yoga. That's it's a shame. I don't like it. It's not good. It's not good. Oh. Wait, that reminds me, Brian. I, I heard that you have a Franklin impression as yeah, well. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna break it down, right? We're gonna we're gonna do it good, <laughs> and you know, I'm the good judge. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. What, what's missing? What, what's missing is the yeah. hands, right? I can see you on the video. Yeah, you gotta see the hands. That's true. I I, yeah. I I I I use my hands a lot. Yeah. As a Greek, I encourage that. Yeah, that's better. It's yes. emphatic. Yeah, yeah. It's we have a lot of feelings, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Well, Ryan, do you, I don't know if you have anything left, but I, I, I like uh, I like where we're at now because we're we're kind of embracing the the full humanity of the silliness, the humor that that's required to to deal with the uh, the chaos and frustration and hope and and amalgamation of feelings that is uh, the leftist project. Um, so I don't know, buddy, did you have anything left uh, to ask? Uh, I don't know. No, um, I will recommend floating down the river. Just did that uh, earlier today. Um, Highly recommend. Yes. Uh, yeah. Just by. I, uh, um, but yeah, if you nature, nature is awesome. I, I watched. I watched Veronica Mars and Red Hegel's Phenomenology of Spirit, which uh, is is less uh, less therapeutic <laughs> than the, the river trip, I would imagine. <laughs> but any last comments from you guys? Uh, yeah, a better world is possible, and join DSA. All right. Yeah, especially Houston. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Houston Houston is, uh, you know, we got our own model. I, I would say, you know, I would say um, explore, you know. Like, I think that, like, having a sense of playfulness about this and not being too rigid, you know. Like, I never thought I was going to run for judge, right? I mean, but it's like, oh, like, here's an opportunity to do something. Here's this thing. And so, like, we should all approach this with, like, a playfulness and with an, an open-mindedness about, about like what to do next and you can't pre-decide what i mean like we're all surfing this wave of reality and material conditions and humanity you know and it takes it does take a sense of humor and a sense of of play to do it you know if i'd die if i didn't have that and relax a little Mm -hmm. bit people are i think very on the left sometimes very anxious about controlling the future knowing what's going to happen picking the most righteous thing to do the number one thing that'll effectuate change it's like you know one of my favorite poets is a greek Nobel laureate uh, odysseus elitis he says each to his own weapons or each to her own weapons so it's like find something go with it and just you know we're in this together so in other words, from each according hey. to ability. Hey, hey, yeah. hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I don't. I can't think of a better uh, thing to end on than yeah. that. Yeah. Well, Thank thanks. You. I, you know, I really love spending time oh, yeah, with y'all. Same. Yeah, yeah, right. It was really great same. to be on. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, we got. You know, it's it's just so familiar. I sit down and particularly having Brian here. You know, it's just like yeah. sit down at the coffee table. Yeah. Well, we're really happy to, to to be able to join that, you know, and I hope we get to do it again before long. Yeah. We, yeah. we got to check in in a Thanks year really do. see how you're doing. Check on them yoga We stocks. will. We will, definitely. Absolutely. Yes, yes. <laughs> I hope you, you got to start levitating by the end of the year. That's that's where you got to, you know. <laughs> I'll work on it. Yeah, we'll rebuild the commune, you know. I'll, you know, see uh, Rajneesh Puram. I'll, I'll go to a... a I love All it. Right. Perfect. All right, cool, guys. guys. See, see you next time. See you. All right. Bye. Bye. Last but not least, we have a friendly reminder that we have a Patreon. You can support the show with $5 a month and get an extra episode every week. Uh, we really appreciate the support, and it helps us keep this going.